Hello, I'm Daniel Prusilides. Welcome to The Long Way, a podcast of short episodes with long perspectives on building the common good. When the federal government introduces a bill to update broadcast regulations, here is the kind of headline they probably don't want. Your free speech is at risk with Ottawa's push to regulate online content, experts warn. That's the CBC. Full-blown assault on free expression. That's the National Post. Canada's disturbing censorship conversation. Toronto Sun. And a somewhat more anodyne Toronto Star headline, Uploads to social media could be regulated under proposed changes to Canada's broadcasting law. Add to all that the Ottawa-based regulation law and lobbyist-watching news outlet Blacklock's reporter, which writes about the, quote, enforcement of a YouTube censorship bill, end quote. The bill in question is Bill C-10, which is rather dryly named an act to amend the Broadcasting Act and to make related and consequential amendments to other acts. The bill is broad in its reach to bring internet streaming services under the regulatory control of Canada's broadcast regulator, the CRTC. Now, that was controversial enough, but the recent move to take away the exemption for social media like YouTube and content uploaded by individuals to YouTube really got people talking. Now, Convivium.ca, which is a digital magazine that Cardis publishes, was on this story in early February, by the way, with comments from two former CRTC commissioners. There is a link to that in the episode notes. And I I will also note that one of those CRTC commissioners appeared in one of Peter Stockland's field reports earlier in this season. Long story short, Parliament is discussing a lot of regulation for a lot of people. But you heard the headlines. You've probably read some of them yourself. And I don't like to light my hair on fire and just scream bloody murder. What I would rather do, and I'm not suggesting that the media have done that, but what I would rather do is speak to someone who knows a lot more about the issue than I do and see if I can't suss out what's going on and try to make some some sense of it. So, I have connected with Michael Geist, a University of Ottawa professor and the Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law. Professor Geist, thank you so much for joining me on The Long Way. It's great to have you here. And I'd just like to ask you straight up, what is wrong with Bill C-10 and why should anyone really care? Well, you know, I had an answer to that sort of almost from the first time I had a chance to really do a careful study of the legislation. Uh, and that was quite a number of months ago. And that answer in many ways has changed over the last week or so as the legislation itself has changed. I mean, my starting point is I think there were sources of concern for this legislation really from the beginning. Uh, I think that the attempt to treat the internet and say as the same as conventional broadcast and essentially try to fit it into the the broadcast model uh, raises a whole host of issues. And we've seen it play out over the last number of months for anyone that's been following the legislation. Once you say that foreign 
streaming services are effectively the same as Canadian broadcasters. It calls into question Canadian ownership rules, Canadian intellectual property rules, Canadian prioritization um, of Canadian content or Canadian performers. It raises a whole host of concerns. And if what you really were concerned with was ensuring that the large services made a contribution in Canada, and I should note that they already make a contribution. In fact, the amount of spending on film and TV production in Canada, at least pre-COVID, was at record numbers, both for uh, Canadian content as well as for foreign location service production. So there doesn't seem to be a crisis. But if all that's what you were trying to, if that's the only thing you were trying to address, uh, the obvious way to do that would be through tax policy. You want to ensure that they're making, that they're paying, tax them. Uh, instead, the government has taken the second approach of sort of a very broad blowing up, in a sense, of the Broadcasting Act to try to incorporate these uh, companies. The problem, though, and so that alone, I think, is a problem. The problem that has emerged in recent days is that by expanding this legislation to really cover all these Internet services, even the government acknowledged when it introduced the bill that this raised a problem because this might capture the millions of Canadians who themselves were engaging in speech online through audio or video, posting videos to TikTok or Instagram or, or YouTube. And so it excluded them. It said, you know, this is not our intent. This is not who we want to cover. And yet, uh, over the last week or so, the government removed one of those exceptions. And suddenly now, anytime someone posts a video to Facebook or to YouTube or an audio, a podcast like this, uh, to one of these platforms, it is treated as a program by the law and subject to CRTC regulation. And my view is that's enormously problematic for freedom of expression in Canada. The whole question of government regulation and, uh, the, yeah, the CRTC, the essentially the broadcast regulator in Canada, where does that veer into the issue of censorship? And if I could sort of ask a second part to that question, when you've got this kind of uh, say user generated content coming under the watchful gaze of the broadcast regulator, what does that mean in practical terms? You know, how would that look? Well, those are those are great questions. I would start by saying we should recognize that this is not to suggest that there are no rules online and that even user-generated content has the ability to sort of do whatever it is you want with absolutely no uh, no limitations. Of course, uh, general laws apply. And if speech is hate speech, it doesn't matter if it's user-generated content, it if it falls under that category and it's unlawful, the law needs to deal with that. But that's not what we're dealing with here. We're not dealing with harmful, with hateful speech. We're not dealing with child pornography. We're not dealing with those categories of speech where I think there is broad recognition that that kind of speech is unlawful and it's appropriate to take action. Uh, notably, not by the broadcast regulator, but by other authorities. In this context, though, having the broadcast regulator treat all of this other speech, legitimate speech that um, is protected under our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, I think has a, first of all, I think has a chilling effect. I don't, I, don't, I think that in, in, a, in a democracy like ours, we don't speak with permission of the state. We don't speak in a way that says, well, first you have to get some 
kind of approval or there is some oversight just of the speech itself by a broadcast regulator. And yet that's precisely what this legislation seeks to do now, which is to extend the scope of regulation directly onto uh, just everyday normal speech. Now, the implementation of all of this, I think, will be a challenge, and it raises a whole host of questions, of course. You know, this, the government is not saying it wants people to have to show up to Gatineau before the CRTC every time they want to post a TikTok video. But they are saying that those TikTok videos are subject to regulation. And so certainly one way they will try to regulate, one would think, is to require the platforms themselves to do their bidding for them. So, for example, if they begin to say they're concerned about the speech because it's not Canadian enough, or they're concerned about the speech because they've got regulations that speak to political speech and the need for some amount of balance, they could seek to impose some of the rules on the speech and do and have the platforms themselves do the enforcing. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're looking perhaps at checklists of things that you've got to do to do to show that you're either Canadian enough or uh, meeting some sort of other requirement in order for, I guess, YouTube to accept or to post or to make your video uh, discoverable, all those uh, sorts of things that are still a little new to me, but, but are becoming much more, a much more common part of our, of our lives. You know, and there's, there are a lot of regulations and requirements that go on broadcasters that, you or I, or most people, I think, would probably have trouble trying to meet if we actually had to. I think that's right. And uh, and that's not, again, that's not to say that there isn't a role for regulation in this space, but uh, this attempt to regulate all this speech, I think, really does raise serious concerns. I think the compliance issues are significant. I think we could see some of the large sites that host user-generated content say that if this is the kind of legal framework that Canada wants to implement and adopt. It's, of course, free to do so, but they aren't going to permit Canadian users uh, on their site, or at least not permit them to post content on their site because they simply can't comply effectively with these new sets of rules. It's costly, it's uh, exceptionally complicated, and I think most importantly, it's just strictly unnecessary and may well be unconstitutional. I guess one of the areas where I would worry a little bit, maybe more than a little bit, would be among sort of the panoply of requirements that the CRTC has for broadcast content, one that uh, that some have pointed out is the need to safeguard and enrich the cultural, political, and economic fabric of Canada. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I would imagine that if it's defined fairly broadly, that it's not really a problem. But if it isn't, and if it's defined uh, narrowly, I could see that requirement, even if YouTube and others were to you know, go along with it, I could see that kind of a requirement killing a whole lot of debate, discussion, even healthy democratic disagreement because of some sort of narrow definition of what it is that safeguards and enriches that you know, cultural, political and economic fabric. Yeah, no, listen, I think this throws open a myriad of regulatory possibilities. That's clear. The CRTC's powers are extensive. I think that in a world where you had a closed system of licensed broadcasters, 
the argument would be that made a whole lot of sense. You wanted to ensure you had a broadcast regulator with appropriate levels of powers uh, because spectrum was limited. The number of channels in effect were limited. It's a, it was a privilege to uh, have one of those licenses. And so ensuring that the public interest and the public good was met was sort of part of the bargain, so to speak, and for having being one of the privileged few to have these licenses and have access to the spectrum. That's obviously not the world we live in anymore. People can listen to this podcast in the same way they can listen to anything else on the radio or, um, or watch something uh, on a conventional television or have it streamed through a diff- different kinds of services. Now, the government would like you to believe that the, that dictates or suggests that what we need are the same rules for everyone and that are that is the same conventional broadcast rules. Now, I would say they're wrong. That's, again, not to say that there are no rules applied online, but to say that we're going to adopt the same kinds of rules and vest in the regulator the same kind of power over what has shifted from a relatively small number of speakers, so to speak, who had this kind of access, now to millions and millions of Canadians who are themselves actively engaged in this kind of speech. And to have the government turn around and say, a program is a program is a program. It doesn't matter if it is the newscast on a main uh, television channel or a podcast uh, or even just a TikTok video. All of these are programs. All of these are subject to regulation. Frankly, it's just crazy. Now, I've been following your blog fairly closely at michaelgeist.ca and uh, I have seen, uh, if I've understood correctly, and this is why I'm asking you, I want to make sure I've understood correctly, has the government, the federal government, shown any sort of willingness to re-exempt user-generated content from some aspects of, of Bill C-10? Because it they were exempt originally when the bill was tabled in November, and then, of course, as you've said, <laughs> that exemption was removed uh, fairly recently, and now, per- perhaps some some of it's coming back? Uh, well, that remains to be seen. So, yes, the starting point was the legislation started with an exemption. They then pulled the exemption from the user's content. So the user-generated content, as we've been saying, treated as a program, which makes it subject to regulation by the CRTC. Now, part of, I think, the problem with this whole process, this clause-by-clause process, on a bill that has so many faults that need to be addressed is that it's a fairly secretive process. And that's not to suggest that the the committee hearings themselves are secret. They're not. They're held out in the open. Anybody can listen in and watch, um, watch it being streamed if they like, or later on read the transcripts. What is secret, though, are the proposed amendments. And so each party has the opportunity to submit various amendments, and they then work through them through this clause-by-clause process. Those amendments are not made public. They're not even read into the record, which can make it exceptionally difficult to even follow along to fully understand what it is the parties are proposing and where the legislation stands. Now, recently, I was provided access to at least one of the forthcoming proposed amendments, which I think does two, which does two things. It actually first starts by recognizing that despite the protestations of the government to say they're not all, this is not all about regulating user-generated content. In fact, they fully recognized that the effect of removing that exception was to regulate 
the programs under user-generated content because they have another amendment that seeks to limit a little bit the CRTC's regulatory power over that kind of content. The problem with that is that it's limited just to one of the regulatory powers. It leaves all the other ones unchecked and still applicable, which to me signals both that they are, despite claims to the contrary, they are well aware that this applies to user-generated content as a program. And secondly, they are intent on maintaining many of those CRTC regulations. They are intent on ensuring that the CRTC, in fact, does have that regulatory power. And something else that I've been reading is that this regulatory power would extend even to apps that, that people are using on their smartphones or other devices in order to access uh, content online. I'm not even sure how you would regulate apps. Yeah, I'm not sure about that either. And I'm not even sure precisely what the government has proposed coming back to we was mentioning earlier that there's just a, a, an utter lack of transparency associated with this process. So in that particular case, you did get liberal MPs. It is another government amendment expanding the spoke, sp scope of coverage. And they said that this was about addressing apps, but they never read the provision into the record. Uh, to my knowledge, people haven't seen the specific language. So it is hard to know precisely what this will cover other than to take the government MPs, people like Julie DeBrusen and Marcy Ian at their word, uh, in which they said they want to ensure this legislation covers apps as well. You know, the whole discussion about Bill C-10 and the online world brings another issue to mind for me, and that is that Minister Gilbeau has also promised a bill on addressing hate speech, terrorist content, other online harms, such that, you know, maybe even um, having the government order websites or other content taken down within 24 hours, uh, that, that kind of thing. We haven't seen that bill yet. But given your experience and what you've been witnessing with Bill C-10, how worried would you be about how, you know, the approach that they're going to take there, too? I'm very, very worried. Um, and again, this is not to say that we don't need rules to deal with online hate and ensure that it comes down. We do. But if we take the minister at his word, he's made it clear that he's going to prioritize speed of takedowns over accuracy. And he's entertaining the possibility of countrywide blocking to keep certain content out. In the first case, this notion of rapid takedowns within 24 hours prioritizes taking something down quickly rather than appropriately. And so rather than having the necessary due process to ensure that what you're taking down is in fact content that is illegal and should be taken down, what you're going to do is have intermediaries, large platforms take content down quickly and not really worry much about whether or not it actually is illegal speech or not. I fear that that actually will harm the, the groups that, that will harm the most are actually the groups the government says it wants to protect because they could be targets. Their speech could be targets for takedown claims and in the rush to take down their legitimate speech may be taken down. And then perhaps just as troubling, if not more so, is the minister having said in the press that he is thinking about requiring blocking technologies to block foreign-based content. So if we can't get at it within the country, we are going to block it. You know, requiring our internet providers to install these kinds of blocking technologies, bring that blocking out, raises, I think, huge numbers of concerns. You know, I never thought we'd see 
a Canadian minister like you both start talking about creating a great firewall similar to what you have in China. Um, but that seems like the kind of technology, at least, that he has in mind. You know, I, I want to kind of end on a, on a hopeful note. Uh, I try to stay positive. It's not always easy. In your own podcast, Law Bites, you examined this, this very issue of uh, sort of the online uh, hate speech and, and how to address that. You, you, you addressed that issue recently. And there is, of course, as you've just outlined, the, a danger of the government's desire to protect versus the excessively broad power to regulate and clamp down on, on speech. So my question is, if we could do a little, a little bit of blue sky thinking, maybe, what's the better way forward? How do you actually, you know, put in real protections and deal with some of the ugly and horrible stuff that really shouldn't be online? I'm talking about things like, you know, child abuse images, those sorts of things. How do you how do you target the harm without killing the freedom and with still maintaining an, an open society. Right. And so it's, and I'm glad you're kind of referencing or, or highlighting that we're talking about the, the, the legal speech here, let's say in the context of hate. So I think the starting point is recognizing that C10 legislation where we started this conversation with is not that right. This is about broad. That is about broadcast regulation. It's not about copyright. It's not about hate speech and the like. Uh, and so it raises some significant issue. It raises its own set of issues, but it's not about solving the challenge and the real problem when it comes to hate on the issue though of hate. Uh, we do need to ensure that the large platforms are consistent in applying the rules and remove content. We need to ensure that they've got mechanisms to identify that illegal content and then take and require them to take action where it has been identified. But we also have to do that in a context of ensuring that there is appropriate oversight, there's appropriate appeals. Uh, and so there's, in a sense, building in the kind of due process that I think Canadians would expect in, in a country that also prioritizes freedom of expression. If we fail to do that, if the pendulum swings so far in one direction uh, that what we end up with is just an urgency to remove content, oftentimes without regard for whether or not we should be removing it, uh, then I think we have that creates significant risks to freedom of expression and really undermines, um, you know, our, our standing as a country that that really stands by those ideals. You know, I'm going to take a, a wild stab here, and I'm going to guess that if the approach, especially on the the hate speech and and other um, harmful, uh, you know, cracking down on other harmful things online. If that, if the approach were initially a to consult widely, publicly, openly, uh, in ways where both the the content creators, uh, content purveyors, you know, could have some input, and maybe we could have some innovative thinking, we may actually end up with better policy rather than. You know, my own impression is what we're seeing is a very top-down approach and marked by a lot of secrecy, as you've as you've outlined. Right. Yeah. No. I, I, I'm glad it's a it's a good place to close because one of the frustrations or another disappointment and frustration with the approach that we've seen from uh, Heritage Minister Gibo is that, especially on the issue of hate, he has not consulted with the public. I mean, I must admit, I find it astonishing 
that he would be entertaining legislation that would have such a, such a pervasive effect on freedom of expression to even include something like undermining net neutrality and establishing blocking systems and to have never held a public consultation on the issue before doing so. All right, we'll end it there. Professor Geist, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate having you. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So where does this all leave us? Let's look at some of the big questions that this situation raises. I think one of the big questions is around trust. The whole conversation around Bill C-10 and internet regulation and social media, all of that, I think is a manifestation of a breakdown of trust between the governed and government. And it cuts both ways. Government seems to lack trust in everyday Canadians' use of their freedom of speech, while many Canadians obviously mistrust government's ability to police true harm online. Now, that kind of breakdown in trust between those two sides, you know, if you want something that is bad for social cohesion, that's bad. Because it's not going to be limited to just Bill C-10, not going to be limited to just one bill. The other big question I would submit is around pluralism. You know, I didn't plan this season of the long way deliberately this way, but we have talked about pluralism in one way or another in every other episode of season three, starting with guest Andrew Coyne in episode one, Danielle Smith in episode three, Sean Spear in episode five, and now we're in episode seven, examining a different facet of the same issue regarding living together well while respecting our many differences and protecting the vulnerable. Because when you look at pluralism, that's what it's actually about. And I think that that fact that we're still having that conversation, that's a reflection of the times that we're living in. The third question that I, I think this raises is around the common good. We need to regain some broadly accepted definition of the common good. We don't have that now. And as long as we don't, the debates and the arguments we have end up more like shouting matches. That's neither productive nor helpful. I'm not sure how to get to those better conversations necessarily, other than perhaps just trying to have them on the long way. Uh, but we do need to have those, those better conversations. And freely expressing ideas is a key part of that process. Then again, that sort of brings us back to square one. It does feel at times like a dog chasing his tail. Now, maybe you've got an idea. Maybe you've got something to suggest, some way forward. Share it by commenting on this episode, wherever you happen to be listening to it, uh, or by writing to me at media at cardus.ca. Cardus is spelled C-A-R-D-U-S. And don't forget to like, share, uh, subscribe to The Long Way wherever you get your podcasts. Just before we go, let me note that uh, if you were looking for additional material uh, to further your own discussion, your own exploration around Bill C-10, do look at the show notes uh, for this episode. You'll find uh, many links there. So I'd encourage you to go check that out. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of The Long Way. Hope you've enjoyed it. I'm Daniel Prusilides. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.